Thanks for jumping on. Um, we do a pod every well every couple of weeks. Although we've been we've been kind of bad over the last couple. It's been like a six weeks. Since we've six really weeks because of um, Breakpoint and then other stuff, and you've been traveling as well. So it's just yeah. Um, here we are. But this is our first one on Solana, and um, I know Pep knows a lot more about Solana than I do. But um, you know, I know a little bit about it, and I think like a year ago, I got a Phantom wallet and bought. I think I opened an FTX account just to buy Solana, and. Um, <laughs> That was easy, actually, very easy process. Luckily, I didn't leave anything on there. I didn't buy very much, and then I I just put it on my Phantom wallet and and mainly because I, I mainly into NFTs, so I wanted to kind of see what was out there. But to be honest, like at the time, I was sort of underwhelmed by the NFTs. Like I, I thought it would be smart to get some, but I just nothing really like interested me that much back then. I didn't know about Google. Um, when when did that start? Yeah, so Google started like a long time ago. We were kind of around in August of 21. So we're kind of like one of the first projects to kick off. But we always kind of kept to ourselves um, in, in more of like an if you know, you know kind of way, you know, because we only had um, the goal and, and still is, you know, two years later or more than two years later, there's only 100 pieces. So we we're kind of dripping out the auction slowly. Um, and we really didn't do a lot of biz dev. It was just kind of, word of mouth and and people started to really pay attention when the price tags started going up you know like we i think we topped uh auctions at something like 250k a piece or something like that so um we we kind of started turning heads as it kind of went up but um yeah we were never like like the guys who came through and then looked around and like messaged around they would always get like google and in the kind of uh in the shill i guess but it was always like oh yeah you know if you really want it, then like Google's the place to be, but it's not really a, a worthy shield for most people because it's not their bags, right? Right. right. It's, too, it's a small, there's not that much network effect if they only have a hundred, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's also just, it was rare to have like be included in lists because it was a pretty like out of reach asset for a lot of people. But if anyone was to kind of mention, like, I think a lot of people use Google as a way to like fight the narrative that that solana doesn't have like a premium kind of option on on there because there was a lot of like mm-hmm. i mean honestly if you went through and looked at magic eden or exchange or whatever for a fair chunk of time like you just kind of see crap right like it, especially like a lot of last year in 21 there was just like weird derivatives and just like things that seemed like they just wanted to be ETH. and i think we were always pretty passionate about not not really pushing for that yeah, so are, are all 100, have they all been released at this point? Yeah, they're all released. So our last auction, um, I don't know, Sealant, if you know the date, but I want to say like May last year or something like that. I think it was around that, yeah. I'd have to have to check. But it feels like it was that kind of time, like first maybe pushing into second quarter of last year. Yeah, so they've been all sold out for, for quite some time. Um, and we've just been kind of pushing through, which honestly, it's like... Obviously, we, we finished the auctions on a really big high. Like, it was a really strong point. And then the bear market, like, really started to press in. Like, you know, obviously, after May last year, um, we kind of hit a high around breakpoint last year, um, which we were really, really happy about. Like, Google kind of held this big event. It was the talk of the town. Like, we had a lot of people interested. And then, of course, like, two days later, FTX collapsed and really pushed a lot of things back. And then we just kind of had to, like, exist and push through in a lot of ways and and really reevaluate what we place value on and what we think makes google what it is and 
kind of double down a lot of things and it kind of worked out like i think there was a lot of times we were close to making bad decisions but fortunately we didn't and that breakpoint was tough <laughs> like some of the most exciting conversations we were having after meeting a lot of people for the first time as well and the kind of interest that came in after our event and people kind of met the community and some of the holders just once you meet them you're like oh okay i understand everything why this is the way it is now so we get back and there's like so much interest and immediately just dies because FTX has wiped out all faith in Solana at that time. It, it was wild. Like we were literally, like I was at that break point Lisbon and we were at the airport on the way home when the CZ tweets and everything started to happen mm. and it started to really un unravel in real time. It was wild. Yeah. That is wild. Very clear memories of all of that going down. I was on the plane realized while I was sat in my seat that I probably had COVID and that I had no access to any funds that I had on uh, FTX. Oh. <laughs> it was such a wounding day. Many such cases. That is brutal. Did, didn't Solana go down to like six bucks or something? How, how low did it go? I think it bottom ticked at eight. Yeah, Vitalik tweeted eight. I think it was about $8.30 and Vitalik tweeted out something like um, he has a lot of respect for the devs and as like a lot of smart people say that uh, there's some really hard builders on Solana and he hopes that it kind of makes it through for them. And that's like the absolute bottom tick of Solana. So shout out to Vitalik. Yeah, obviously I wish I had bought that. But I remember that's always when you never want to buy, right? Like I remember just as like a casual observer of Solana being like, I'm not touching that, you know, it's dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like Ceylon talked about interest. Like we had some really kind of heavy hitters that we were talking to, like big fund managers and VCs and blah, blah, blah. Like, who all were really stoked on the idea of Google. And I remember we were kind of like, just, you know, optimistically hitting people up after after everything went down. And I think one of them was just like, uh, yeah, I'm um, I'm just in a group chat with like CZ and and like a few other of these guys. And I'm just going to make sure that Solana isn't just dead. Uh, and then we'll talk about <laughs> it like, like Q2 next year. And we were just like, oh God, like, is this over? Yeah, let us do your findings, please. Wow. So you had to be at least a little worried about like an existential crisis of um, the whole chain, like, you know, basically collapsing. I think like how I've always handled it, like I spent a lot of the the bear market, uh, like farming L2s and trying to look, look for different opportunities in different places. And I do that for two reasons, like obviously for the capital that comes with that, hopefully, but also to just constantly re reassess the thesis in Solana being the right chain or the one that won't die um and honestly like i i still do that to this day like sui launches aptos uh you know basically anything like you know zk and arbitrum and base and optimism whatever like i try all of them and i, and I play around with the dApps and i and i mess about and i always come back to this like if i was to onboard someone who doesn't know what they're doing to crypto with the goal of them understanding it and staying on it then where would I want them to like first interact with the blockchain? And that mm -hmm. to me still hasn't been beaten by the experience of like downloading Phantom, I send you a soul and then go like mess about, buy an NFT for five cents and then like deposit it in Drift and do like, you can just do things really smoothly. Um, yeah. And I constantly reassess that and I had to like dig into every part of me uh, that believed that little part when, it, when things got really dark. Um, and it's kind of like you look back at those times, right? It's like you, the times you read the white paper, it was that kind of version of it. I was like, using the other chains, you're going like, yeah, okay, FTX, I'm a fuckload of this thing, but like, it's still good. It still works, you know? 
I listened to an interview yesterday, actually, with uh, Anatoly, the founder, one of the founders, with um, Laura Shin, and um, you know, he he brought up some good points. I think one of the, and then it was echoed by what happened to me later in the day. So he, you know, Laura was asking him about, uh, you know, what about Ethereum and what about this, what about that, and you know, are you are you worried that it's going to beat you out? And he said, look, we're never going to get mass adoption until the technology we provide is faster and cheaper than what's out there. And Ethereum just isn't that, right? And so, you know, I think that that was his goal all along for Solana was it, for it to be kind of effortless and super cheap and super fast. And, um, you know, I think for some like crypto diehards, that's sort of a negative because maybe they argue it's not decentralized enough or whatever. But um, I do think, you know, if we're being realistic, not everyone in the world, you know, far from it, wants to pull out their ledger and tinker around with these codes and and take seven minutes to transact an nft that costs 30 dollars to just send it to another wallet like that's ridiculous yeah i think like one of the funniest ways i put it is like if you have 50 dollars in your ethereum wallet and gas fees are above 50 dollars, like you don't have any money in your wallet like it's that simple <laughs> you know like and on solana like i've pitched a lot of people right like people go all right george what are you doing like what is this thing like why would i ever give a shit about digital art you know and to me, like you can pitch this dream about like an an creator in like sub-Saharan Africa with an internet connection and an old iPad can create something beautiful and I can buy it for, you know, eight dollars and change that guy's life. And in that time, he has to spend, I don't know, ten cents, probably far less, to mint that piece of work, rent it on the on like the space that it's needed, um, and I can sell it. And th- those microtransactions are actually what move the needle for a lot of creators around the world and that's what i've always been really passionate about and i think when i go into explaining that to to people who ask me that's when they kind of understand it more because the alternatives don't make sense like you have you know if if someone wanted to draw a physical piece of art like i might not want to store it they might not want to ship it import duties like blah 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 blah, right that's just the nft pitch but saving all those fees and also being able to direct uh, transact directly with someone for eight dollars with no middleman is isn't possible somewhere else you know and i hate buying like like when i see a, an addition for like 0.05 e i hate that because i have to like spend 30 percent of that and someone some miner or some like person who's uh going after evm they get my gas fees and they get 25 percent of what i want to give to the creator right i'd rather burn that which and that's a different conversation, but you just want to be able to give as much as you can to the creators. And when you have lower gas fees, that kind of enables that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Now, what do you think about Solana versus like an L2, like Arbitrum or Optimism or Base? I think personally, people like, there's there's kind of big number bias, right? Like when you buy a car for $50,000, you kind of forget like, oh, well, you know, it's only $500 more to get the leather seats. And then you put your $500 on it and life's good. And because it's a big number, that $500 doesn't mean much. But if I'm going out to get a takeout lunch and someone says, oh, yeah, it's, you know, another 500 bucks to go to a better place, I- I'm very taken back and go, hey, wait, that's a lot of money, right? Like, I think that's where that's where that conversation is. When Ethereum natives go from, you know, large transaction fees to, you know, Arbitrum, Base, ZK, like, it sounds ridiculous and like call me poor, but some of these chains aren't as cheap as they sound when you talk about uh, like trying to onboard normal people because 
I mean, Arbitrum's already spiked to a couple of dollars per transaction sometimes. Like ZK refunds a fair bit of it, but you're still paying, I don't know, 50 cents-ish, depending on the demand. And that's like a chain that isn't really uh, like fully rolled out yet. Um, base is great as well, but you just don't have like the same capabilities. And when you get a lot of users, those gas fees will kind of increase a little bit, right? Like when you're talking about Solana, it's, it's essentially gasless and feeless. Like there's not this concept of like, oh yeah, but I'll, it's only 40 cents. It's, it's almost nothing. Like you pay fractions of a penny per transaction and that just enables a lot more interesting things to happen. Um, and I think that kind of small difference seems small, but it's actually a really big difference that people don't really think about when they come from the other side. I mean, even yeah, when you're sure. at low price entirely, I think the whole concept of bridging and changing networks and stuff like that, like it would completely spin out someone's head if they've never interacted with crypto before or used any kind of L1, L2. Like even when I tried to use Polygon for the first time, like three, four years ago, I was just tripping over every single step. So regardless of price, I think you're just coming up with barriers that a lot of people don't want to take on. And that's why we have the ease of use of Amazon one click. You've got that thing coming to your door the next day. Like this is the UX um, kind of standard that people expect uh, they're coming into a new technology. They're expecting things to advance, not to have more learning curves and more things to understand. Like even the whole side of um, kind of cold storage and everything like that. I remember trying to get my dad set up with a, a ledger and eventually we got to it, but the whole concept of like, right, this is 26 let uh, words that you cannot lose ever or 12, whatever it was. That's like a huge, huge step. So I think like the bridging L2 networks, all of that kind of stuff is again, just another huge learning curve that really we could take out completely with something like Solana. And that's why I could, like, I'm happy to onboard people to Solana just because of the ease of use. You don't have them things. There's not as many things to trip over. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up bridging because uh, asked that what I was dealing with an hour ago. <laughs> he, he literally messaging in the group. I tried to bridge back from base to Ethereum mainnet. <laughs> um, it's been 12 days. Where's my money? <laughs> like, what the what the fuck is going on? But then it's, so, it's meant to be instant. <laughs> yeah. So then I, I had to go back in, log in with my wallet, and then claim it. And then gas was like set 70. So it was going to cost me $50 to claim one ETH. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then I had another transaction that I forgot was on my base wallet. But then, you know, it's super confusing. You got to change networks. You have different addresses. You got to still pay a lot of gas to bring it over. And all of that is is gone when you're just dealing with a different L1, right? And I, I, yeah. hadn't, really, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Like you kind of hear people compare, oh, L1, you know, alternative L1 to an L2. Oh, L2 is better because it's still part of Ethereum. And I don't know. I mean, I, there's there's negatives to both too, but I'm sure there's some negatives to Solana. People would say like maybe security or maybe centralization or something like that. I'm curious what you guys think about those arguments. Yeah, I think like, I mean, there's those meme numbers, right? There's like, you know, the Nakamoto coefficient, which Solana kind of thrives at. Um, and there's a lot to be said, like Tolly's a big fan and a passionate guy about like hardware cost scaling really well over time versus software costs. So as the as time goes on like nodes will get cheaper to run because hardware kind of runs at this it scales at a really nice curve when it comes to costs so a lot of the arguments that are made on the each side for how expensive it is to run your node kind of distributes over time um and i think the the validator stuff is another argument like it's expensive to run a validator but there are things working like that like you know we had 
a partnership come through a couple months ago with AWS. So you will be able to run a validator for good or for bad on on AWS in like the near future, which kind of lowers the threshold and people can do that kind of thing. Um, Marinade Native already has uh, a way to distribute your stake. So on Solana, basically, you can stake as little as like one soul and it doesn't have to be wrapped or like an LST. It doesn't have to be like Lido or anything like that. You can take a native soul and basically split it and stake it into 10 different validators for essentially free gas. So Maridade's new offering is basically you send like a thousand soul. Well, you don't send a thousand soul. You give them staking permissions um, for your thousand soul. And they'll split it over the the top 150 validators on the network, uh, which kind of helps towards that that problem that you kind of see on ETH, where Lido controls a lot of the stake, um, Marinade, which is controls the not controls the most amount of, but kind of handles a lot of the liquid staking and the native staking. Will distribute it over. So, I think it's like an aligned a, a goal that everyone has is to create the network to be more de- decentralized over time. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that I understand every kind of part of that, but I think that there's some really smart people with the right value set to get there. And I think that the small trade-offs that happen over time aren't too dissimilar to the trade-offs that we see on L2s. Um, I mean, as, as recently as the blast thing, which is basically, you know, uh, a chain that isn't live yet handling $600 million of TVL which is a multi-sig of five people like that if that kind of level of obscurity happened on solana i think that they would be looked at you know disgustingly but then on ethereum it seems to be that's like a point to celebrate that something so silly can capture that much value because that's where the liquidity is so i think it's just a like over time it'll happen and i think people kind of will get it over time and i think that it it gets to the right place, but it's just a it's a process. Mentioning Blast, I have to I have to say like my like warning light went off in my head when I heard about Blast and and like the APYs they're promising. It's just when something like that doesn't add up. Like the last time I had that concern was with Celsius and with um you know all these staking like getting like back when interest rates were three percent and they were giving you you know nine percent on your uh, ETH. Or on your on your stable coins, I mean, it, you know, it didn't make any sense. And anytime you try to ask anyone, well, where's that yield come from? You know, well, I think we found out the hard way where the yield came from. You are the yield. You are the yield. Yeah. Yeah, it, I remember know. it being at twenty percent at one point. That was kind of twenty percent. Yeah, it was just you know with um, uh, Luna, <laughs> Luna it was like twenty two percent or something. Yeah, for real. But uh, so I don't know. Just be careful. Like like uh, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. Um, so I'd be curious to hear, did you guys come, like, when did you guys get into crypto? Did I even go first? Um, I was, I think like 2016, 2017, I uh, was working graphic design freelance at the time. And I had a very good friend who introduced me to um, Bitcoin, like quite a few years before that, but I was fairly young. So we didn't really throw any money into it. We we're just kind of like watching it as this cool thing that, oh, wow, you can buy drugs on the internet. You can do this with it. And then it wasn't until, like, as I said, 2016, 2017, uh, a guy I know offered to pay me for a design job in Bitcoin. And this was like October 2017, I think. And then like within two months, the, the coins just started running so hard. I'm like, oh, wow, this, uh, this money he paid me for the job went up like four, four or five X overnight. 
And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I got to get paid for this stuff in, uh, in Bitcoin more often. Seems pretty good. And that was like the peak of my interest. And from then, it's just been uh, constant, like dipping into in and out of different things, learning about DeFi, um, going through like pancake swap and all the Binance smart chain stuff. And then like luckily landing Solana very early 2021. Yeah, I think for me, I was more of a, a COVID kid. Like in 2020, um, basically I was working in professional sport and like kind of corporate partnerships. And uh, in 2020 in Australia, uh, they kind of shut everything down and um, the the government kind of allowed you to, if your company stood you down and you had a job to come back to when things kind of got back to like quote unquote normal, then you could kind of take a weekly salary that was a little bit less. And then you had some access to like, um, essentially like your 401k, the Americans would call it, um, we call it superannuation. Um, so I kind of like dipped into that, started with the idea that I would just be in, you know, index funds and save up to buy a house. And then very quickly found myself uh, delving down the risk curve into penny gold stocks and like micro esports shares and, and all kind of crazy things and then when i was in that realm um found crypto and i think i bought my first ETH at like maybe august of 2020 for 150 bucks or something like that um and then kind of fell into nfts at the start of 21 and um been staring at my screen ever since <laughs> so george what was the first nft uh, that you bought do you remember i bought a very overpriced mooncat that was shield oh, okay uh after all the ETH guys bought it for free, I was their exit liquidity. Um, you might have bought like, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I was on the other side of a very bad trade to start with, and then um, I just I really I forgot about. It. I just decided I was going to leave it until it was worth something, and it, I ended up selling it for more than what I bought it for somehow. But uh, I think the next one, I think the first NFT that I really kind of got out of bed for being in australia the time zone was never perfect but i think with the skulls um wicked craniums i think they yeah. were cool yeah uh, i remember yeah yeah wicked craniums then got a cat that was kind of like my transition into nfts i like those those are like the post board ape uh, kind of run of pfp projects and stuff yeah and how about you Celina? what was your first uh nft do you remember uh so my first nft i think it was actually a solana nft i um I'd basically seen a friend uh, posting about punks probably like four or five years before, maybe a, around the same time or maybe like a, a few years before. I did a post about it recently and I didn't really know what they were. I just saw that a bunch of um, people on the, on CT that I was following, they had these punks as well. Didn't know what punks were or what they were called. And I was just like, oh, these things look cool. So I've made my own in Photoshop and thought like, that's what you do. Um, and it wasn't until like a few years later that I realized that these NFTs and it was uh, soul punks on solana nice. i think it's maybe like one of the third nfts to mint on there just as i'd kind of like started getting into it and minted a bunch of them um and they seemed to just be dead for a long time and then had a bit of a run but yeah i think that was probably the first nft i i, I minted and to That's mint soul punks just to be clear you didn't actually mint them yeah it wasn't written <laughs> you sent three soul to an address on their website and then they sent you them back because this is hilarious. Before there was like an NFT standard on Solana, it was just like absolute wild west. Incredibly early. That's funny. I actually bought a Soulpunk a couple of weeks ago for the hell of it. I actually own two. <laughs> so, so with Google, I'm curious about how you know 
So there's a hundred. Do you know how many different uh, people own them? Like I'm assuming it's less than a hundred, but is it like 90 or 80 or? I think it's somewhere between 82 and 85, depending mm -hmm. on if you include the team and some like the team has honoraries. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's about 85 people in the discord out of a hundred. So distribution is pretty good. Um, and it's got better kind of really good. time. Yeah. And the people that had multiple have like kind of been strategic around opening up their seconds to people that they think that they've met and kind of onboarded to it and, and think that they're going to be good additions. And we've seen people even kind of sell for, um, around floor, like just under if they think that someone's going to be like a really good addition to it. So. I think it's really special how much kind of care people have for the brand and the last thing anyone would ever want to do is is try and onboard someone who wouldn't be like a good fit or a bad actor or anything like that. So if I, if, let's say I bought, let's say I wanted to buy one, what would I, what would I do? How would I meet like the people in it and, and are there, there in real life events it sounds like and do you guys have a closed discord or how does it work? Yeah, so I would have absolutely loved to uh, hand out the invites to the Google pop-up store um, and the Google party we had. And then if you're a holder, we had like holders and then some plus ones of people who were kind of interested parties. We, we booked out, uh, like another venue for a dinner, um, on the night after a couple nights after the Google party. And then I ended up booking out, um, a place again for like a kind of private event. So we kind of went pretty hard this year in Amsterdam. Um, and we see a lot of kind of conversion happens when people kind of just get surrounded by the people in there and, and why they're in there and kind of understand the the kind of network you, you become into. And the cool part, I think, has always been that you get a lot of um, kind of bigger players in, in one room and then you try and just make sure that you're the place that they allocate the time they have to allocate to crypto in, in one spot. And we've done that really well. Like there's a lot of people who are really inaccessible if you try and like reach out to them in twitter dms or in discord or tele telegram or whatever but that's because the the kind of time they allocate to twitter or you know their time in web3 is very much based around the google discord so it kind of just acts as this cut through the noise um place which we've already always kind of made it but it's also a very like kind of fun vibe it's never super serious i think people get surprised by that um but yeah, so basically, like, I can give you a long story as to why it exists, but we do have, like, a kind of membership committee now, which basically exists just to keep out bad actors. So the the process of buying a Google is basically we have, like, a membership form that you fill out. Um, it gets vetted by, by our team and essentially just make sure that there's no, like, shady things in the past or any, like, you know, malicious actions. And then you're kind of, we have a bit of a white glove, like OTC service that we can sort you out and give you all the options of kind of Google's available and, and all that jazz. So it's always been to me really important that that onboarding process is like much more premium and, and feels a bit more prestige than the average kind of like log on to OpenSea and, and market buy. Um, so there's a little bit to it, but yeah, we'd love to have you if you want to be. <laughs> Are the secondary sales not really um, on-chain? Is it mostly over-the-counter kind of stuff? Yeah, so they're all like on-chain, but they're not usually on a marketplace. So we use right. um, FoxySwap or Helio OTC, which is on-chain, and you can see like the the funds getting distributed and swapped over. Um, mm -hmm. But generally the marketplaces, because generally the marketplaces will take a 2% fee, and when people are trading, like I think the last one sold for 150 grand or something like that, um, 
two percent is just a bit more than people want to pay. <laughs> um, so we we have like a bit of more of an OTC service, but some do get bought from the marketplace. Uh, but generally, we'll we'll have people that just kind of do handshake deals, and our team will help them connect and, and make sure it all goes in the right spot. What if somebody like I don't know Ryan Carson? I don't know if you know who he is, but bought <laughs> one on the market. What would you guys do? Would you be like, uh, hey, well, welcome? <laughs> so he's like uh, a good example, right? So what we always are passionate about, like when you come to the decentralization conversation, like at the end of the day, NFTs are a bare asset and anyone can buy and sell them on the chain. Um, but the Discord to us is um, quite special and it doesn't take much for people to kind of ruin the reputation or the vibe or you know any number of things. In such a small group, it really takes one kind of bad actor with a purpose. Um, so the Discord is gated with that membership committee, but if you want to go market buy one on Magic Eden, um, Ryan Carson, you're more than welcome to. But uh, yeah, he, I can't speak for the whole committee, but I don't think he would be passing the test. That's pretty funny. That reminds me of, of back in the day, I was in a, a kind of a gated Discord, but it wasn't tied to an NFT. And uh, there were a lot of good people in there. And then Beanie, Beanie joined. And then it was definitely good for entertainment, but the, the founder of it was Justin from Braindrops. And he, he kicked him out like two different times and then, and then let him back in. And then one time he kicked him out and he let him back in a week later. And then within five minutes, he kicked him out again. He's like, all right, you're out. <laughs> so yeah. it does kind of ruin the vibe. Everyone else is like having a good time. And all of a sudden someone comes in there like all aggro and you know yeah i i I can't tell you how much so like you know bear markets always bring bad vibes right like the kind of worst of it was probably like middle of last year like that kind of i don't know maybe maybe just before breakpoint kind of vibe or maybe after break or what was it god i've got my dates mixed up yeah probably like middle right isn't it (laughs) yeah yeah i have no idea but like there was some really tough times where we had like People who just weren't like, you know, whether it's personal reasons, market reasons, whatever it was, who just were really detracting and, and it's hard to tell like how big of like a certain group feels that same way. Like it's really difficult to gauge sometimes. And then we had like one or two people kind of exit. And ever since then, it's just been like, you know, to use the term, like the vibes are immaculate, right? Like it's, it's crazy how much impact, uh, like one or two, three people can have in a small group. And it was really, really like, uh, visceral to kind of go through that process of like doubting yourself, figuring out, you know, are we in the wrong? What's happening? I don't get it. And then like one person goes away and then you go, oh, wow. Like, that was it, right? Like everyone else is aligned and it was just kind of a bad Apple situation. Um, and that's kind of the root of the membership committee to try and make sure that we don't have that same situation again, you know? I think you see a lot in some of the bigger collections as well. Like in the past, I've definitely noticed like when there's two or three people that seem to just be constantly bringing bad energy to some of the discords and stuff, it just gets so tiring. And you can see like some of the moderators are just like, what do we do about this? Like. We can't just kick people out because they own the NFT, but this is a clear like a toxic place that people don't want to hang around in anymore. I think it just gets quite tiring and uh, just brings down the overall desire to be in like some of these smaller communities. And like, yeah, smaller or big, I think it still has the same effect. So you guys, I assume, have a pretty big treasury from these auctions. Um, 
how, how did all that work? And do you guys charge a royalty and how do you, how do you manage your treasury? Yeah. So basically like the last 10 auctions, we, we put half into a treasury, um, being the hardcore soul believers we are, we, uh, didn't manage it too fantastically round tripped a little bit, um, ended up cutting it like a reasonable price, but decided to start like kind of desaying back into soul, um, between like 13 and like $18. So kind of turned it around a bit, which was nice. Um, which was, you know, it, it was a good example of when DAOs, uh, are bad because like the yeah. collective Googles as like good traders, um, pretty much everyone was like sidelined or net bearish for most of the year, um, of 2020, yeah, 2022. And then we took a vote in the discord, like what percentage of our treasury we should hold in Solana versus stables. And even though everyone was individually bearish for whatever reason, they were bullish on our treasury allocation. Um, so that was like a fun way to learn that. But that was always like our belief, you know, like Google doesn't operate as a DAO. I think there's like a really nice middle ground that can be struck. Um, but yeah, so we do have like a healthy treasury now. We are charging royalties, which is which is nice um, through the OTC stuff. And then we also have just kind of started delving into, we had our first launch of the fashion house. And then we've also got Google Syndicate, which is kind of, uh, allows individual Googles to pull funds and and get VC deal flow, which we've had some pretty good deals in like Tensor and um, Drip and Helio and, and some really big opportunities and Cube as well. How did we get Cube? I don't remember. But yeah, th yeah there's Cube. been, yeah, Cube. Okay. I'm just thinking about all the opportunities that I completely faded stupidly. Um, but yeah, so we have like a few kind of uh, pillars within Google and uh, it's been been really cool to to now have like a very very clear vision as to where we're at because for a long time it was not as clear you know did you guys invest in tensor or what was that relationship like yeah so through the so google syndicate basically we vet deals and make sure that they're aligned with you know opportunity and then there's there's good upside in different deals so we have Vitz is one of our one of the people that works for Google, uh, and she is like, that's her whole deal, basically. Like, she's the absolute queen of, of those kind of deals. So she brings in deals. We, we vet them, make sure it makes sense. And then uh, I fade them, of course. <laughs> but they go to the, um, the syndicate and people can pull funds and invest. So Google Syndicate as a collective invested in Tensor um, at what is now a very good valuation. Um, and those that kind of partook in that deal still have um, that that capital locked um and some pretty good upside at the moment so how does that work the google syndicate so people can opt in to do a deal and they have access to some of the funds or explain how that works no so they put their own capital up and then the total capital pool goes into the investment there's a um the platform called unique vc that runs on solana that essentially um provides that service so you can all put in your own amount of um, whatever you're willing to invest. And then you have a price cap that should kind of reallocate that. Um, and then you get the total and then the, sorry, I'm distracted as he's pulling it up there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a way that, that kind of groups can pull funds and, and do investors and, and invest whether um, without being like an incredible investor individually. 
um, and it's provided some pretty special special opportunities to our holders. Yeah, essentially opens up a smaller ticket size um, as a group, so yeah. individuals can put in kind of less than the the minimum um, that would be offered to an individual. But as a group going in, you can kind of pull together the funds and and go in on the same deal. That's really cool. And then, so I guess like one of the pros of this small community is that these kind of investments get kind of discovered early because everyone's so kind of tied into the ecosystem and yeah. presumably a lot of these people are good investors and have been around a long time. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the real benefits. Like Google can quite proudly boast like some of the most well-connected people in Solana and access to some of these new upcoming platforms and deals and opportunities are, are probably better than you're going to find in most other groups on Solana. Um, so yeah, we've been able to bring that as part of the offering and, uh, and kind of allow that to be opened up to the community as well. Mm, I think it's also worth mentioning as well that um, with the the syndicate, unlike a lot of different kind of alternative offerings, because there's only you know 85 people um, and most won't participate in any given round, the dilution in certain rounds when it comes to size allocations and tickets it, are much better. And oftentimes you'll have, if it's a particularly good opportunity, some of the Googles might take angel checks. So that opens up the syndicate to have more space for other people kind of putting in tickets. So that side has been really beneficial if you want to kind of put size in different investments because there's some other offerings that exist, but there's like, you know, 3,000 people trying to put funds in for a 50K ticket and it's kind of, you know, not worth anyone's time. Yeah, that's, wow, that's, that's really cool. Now, do you have any groups of people that join as one Google or does it have to be one, one human per Google? Uh, we, we generally have like one human per Google just cause it gets a bit messy. Like we had yeah. these conversations over time as to how to, how to figure that out. Um, and we kind of landed on, doesn't really make a lot of sense to, to have groups. Um, if you own multiple Googles, then there's the certain situations where you can get, you know, a friend that you're comfortable with as kind of representing that other Google. Um, but that's because you kind of own both of those and, and you can allocate that other seat. So like, um, but if the kind of DAO buying and the individual, like the group buying, I don't think that that's, that there's just no way of cleanly doing that without it getting a bit messy. Is, is there KYC? I mean, I'm sort of assuming no, but uh, do you have the KYC to, to be in the Discord or to participate in these investments? Uh, no. Yeah. Um, and then you said it's not really a DAO. I, I was going to actually ask before you said that, are there, are there, I don't, I haven't heard of DAOs on Solana. Is that a thing or? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big thing on Solana. Um, people people love it. Like we have Monkey DAO, which is like one of the top projects on Solana. Operates as like a a fully fledged DAO with the kind of on chain treasury and um, proposals and all the things that you would kind of see familiar to the DAO structure. Um, mm. And there's obviously a lot of like like Mango as a DAO and like a lot of these these protocols that are forming. Um, a lot of these companies and protocols that are forming uh, treasuries or releasing tokens, like Marinade has a big DAO, like anything that has a token, generally you'll see that there's like a DAO kind of formed around it. Uh, and it seems pretty popular on Solana, but we just never really believe that pure decentralized leadership um, will lead to really solid brand quality control. And Ceylon is the kind of creative designer kid um, just I could never imagine leaving a sign decision up to someone who isn't seal on or this kind of closed group. So we kind of operate 
um, in a really fortunate position because we can talk to, like, it's really not hard for us to get a, a good, um, a good kind of touch point with our community as to what their overall thoughts are on things. And it's also not hard for us to bring specific decisions that we think are important to the community and just kind of say, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then that's kind of generally we'll get a, a very strong uh, indication as to what their thoughts are as a collective. And then we can kind of take that back to the team and, and end up making the decision ourselves based on what we think is best for the project and also what we think is kind of aligned with um, what they believe is the right call. So there's this kind of way that you can get the consensus um, and a really good understanding with this small community of what they think on certain things. But at the end of the day, they've kind of invested in centralized leadership to to do what's best for the brand. And I think because of the track record we've got now, people aren't really doubting that. And the people that are there, like we don't have a lot of people, like at no point have we sold ourselves as a DAO. And every time that question kind of comes, we, we say no, <laughs> because I just don't think that's like what we're trying to be, I don't think can be done by a DAO structure. Yeah. I mean, just look at nouns. I mean, that was kind of a total failure so far. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess they, it was a noble effort, but um, they were like, no, I Yeah. No identity. And no, they had horrible treasury management. And they had, you know, I think, I, I don't know the latest, but a bunch of people ended up leaving. And I remember there was to a proposal like, was, to refund everyone. Did you see yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, well, they forked a couple of times and people did get refunded. And, it just seemed like there was no, you need to have some central direction that, that, you know, is going to be tied to someone charismatic or talented who's going to be leading it. Right. Like, like this just big room full of people where there's no leader. That's not going to work for, for something like that. I don't think, you know, I still think it's going to work. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we have yeah. to, like, we have monkey DAO, which is kind of like not our version of that, uh, of nouns, but it's our probably most realistic version of like a, a functioning DAO and you just see some things happen that are just insane like we look at some of the things that that go on over there and just remind ourselves how fortunate we are to not have to to kind of force a square through a circle and every single time like if we were going through design design decisions in that kind of format or you know these kind of big decisions around the fashion house or the syndicate or like these things that don't necessarily need to to be voted on or have this big consensus if we are confident by knowing everyone really intimately that it's the right decision for the brand and it's aligned with everyone's kind of thoughts then that just we can action those things and there's not this really big like process and it's kind of enabled us to always be um true like blazing the trail rather than this really long-tailed uh bureaucracy i think it's like the best way I've heard it described is a lot of DAOs are just rediscovering government, which we don't want to be. Yeah, right. Right. That makes sense. So tell me, uh, for you know, I'm not sure I fully comprehend kind of what, what Google's all about. I'm, I'm getting certain parts of it, but there's there's the whole fashion part and there's uh, pop, uh, pop-up stores and stuff like that. If you could explain that more, because we haven't, we haven't really touched on that. Yeah. So Ceylon and I kind of had this vision about what we think that the future of um, Google looks like, right? And we we made some strategic decisions uh, a little a long a long time ago now to fully rebrand Google to like if you go to our website Google.rip, you can kind of see 
um, a lot of what we tried to do with the branding. Um, and we've got some really, really special guys in the Hans boys, um, and really branded it as a luxury brand. So when we did like a big stock take of the kind of alternatives that existed in, you know, you look at like pudgy penguins and, um, I don't know, even bored apes and mutant apes and, and doodles and all these things, like they're packaged primarily as not to sound offensive, but they're kind of these like mass marketing or like kind of kids brands, right? Because that's what their design was based on to sell out and attract this certain demographic. And we looked at it like, okay, well, that's what everyone's doing. Let's do this how how it's done elsewhere, right? Like you look at like the Google logo isn't out of place next to some of the biggest names that you could think of in like the fashion world. Um, and we we kind of went about that really intentionally. And then when you compare uh, this kind of branding to the alternatives that existed, there just there didn't seem to be a lot of competition in what could really thrive in these more premium kind of high-end fashion house environments. Um, and what we kind of thought, what we what we thought would work was two things. It was the models that existed in Web2 and fashion for hundreds of years, you know, these seasonal drops, these clothing products, collaborations, you know, things like the Supreme model, like the Tiffany Christmas collection, you know, Dior Home, like all of these things that absolutely thrive in billion dollar markets don't really exist properly on chain and they don't even need to exist on chain but this could be a web3 native approach towards that same goal and what we kind of found is as an nft collection we have this kind of big reach but we have a small user base and we were one of i think the only nft projects on any chain that had this kind of hopeful ability at the time to be able to sell products or merchandise to people outside of our holding because Google seemed like such a out of reach um, or unattainable NFT or, or you know goal people were always kind of kicking down the door like how can we get how can we be a part of Google like how can we buy into it when gen 2 when gen 3 like they they wanted to be a part of it but we just had our door closed for so long so this kind of cocktail of we have the right branding for this approach. The model has been proven to seemingly work and we have a lot of people interested. Why don't we be kind of one of the first brands to really take a risk and try and sell outside of our holder base, right? Like there's a lot of NFT projects that function as pseudo pyramid schemes or Ponzi's where you just kind of like build another rung below with the Gen 2 or Gen 3 and other world, whatever it might be. And we wanted to be we wanted to do it kind of differently. We wanted to grow the community without diluting the assets. And through Breakpoint was the first time we really kind of took that risk and and launched the the fashion app. You're telling me there's going to be no Google pets or Google babies or bo- Google monkeys? Unfortunately, <laughs> no Google doggos. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, one of the, I remember one of the earliest conversations I had with George when we were still kind of relatively just strangers on the internet was um, about fashion and, and music and stuff like that. So it's kind of like come full circle that actually the the things that we found uh, common ground to speak about back then are something that we'd push forward with now and bring in the the kind of fashion aspect and the IRL events and putting such a, an importance on them. Because I think that's something that um, personally I've valued hugely from everything that I've experienced in NFT so far is um, the, the whole kind of process of 
speaking to people that you don't know on Discord or on Twitter and everything like that. And then having this one time or maybe two, three times a year where you actually meet up and that's where I've always found the most value and had the most fun and kind of realized all like all the relationships that have been built. So how can we make that like a pivotal point of Google and such an important point of it that the IRL events are something that everyone wants to come to and the kind of attempts to get on guest list for the last two years now have been crazy. Um, I think this year we had over 700 applications to come to the the event and there's 250 spots with 100 of them going to Google's anyway. Um, And then, yeah, the fashion house side of it is just something that it allows people to engage with the brand and kind of represent the brand and kind of do everything that they want and associate and kind of come to the pop-up and and hang out with this crowd of people that we kind of all believe the same thing and want to do the same things. And rather than dilute what we have and kind of change the the proposition of what Google is, is to make it accessible to everyone and enjoyable by everyone in a different way that hasn't really been seen before. Um, So yeah, it's, it's super ambitious and there was a ton of doubt um from inside the community from outside the community about like are people going to buy this if they don't in the nft and like george said i think we were one of the few in the position that because google has this kind of prestige attached to it in such a short amount of time that maybe i don't think i want to buy the google because that's a, a lot of money to put down but man this is like a cool jacket and that was the whole plan behind it make an objectively cool jacket that i mean i'm big into fashion it's something that i would wear on my day to day because it's a high quality thing it's not just some cheap piece of merch that's made with the intention of like, oh, how can we just get something to hold it? It's like $10 t-shirts, whatever. It's like, no, we're going to put some time into like really sourcing good, high quality materials, making sure the print and manufacturing is actually done well. Like these are things that I've forgotten so quickly in the NFT space. Yeah, I have a lot of questions. That's really interesting. So I guess what my first question is like, like how does the fashion tie into web three, you know, or, or Solana in particular, or does it even need to, I mean, like if I'm who, who's your ideal customer, you know, out, cause it's not, it's not the holders of the NFT. Your whole point is kind of like, you're not just trying to sell cheap crap to your holders that already have the NFT. It's like the opposite. You're trying to, to create a, a really high premium brand and, and not necessarily sell it. Or who, who are you trying to sell it to? I guess is my question. Mm. So I think for, for us, like to answer the first person you had, so if you tried to buy the merchandise, the source clothes at the moment. Um, but if you tried to buy the kind of first run of the sing- signature collection, you could only purchase from um, Solana Pay. So Solana Pay did an integration with Shopify, which was beautiful and showcased the kind of value of Solana. And Google's very much aligned with that, that kind of exact thing, right? Like you get an objectively good jacket that you can wear to work. It's not going to have a big monkey over the shoulder. You're not going to look like an idiot in the bear market. It's just like really clean and nice and good fabric. Um, but you get the Web3 experience on the way through. And I think for us, our ideal customer at the moment, to be honest, is um, Solana people who see that Google winning is Solana winning. Like I see Google as kind of like the 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 premium layer of the Solana foundation. That's that's where we where we kind of see ourselves, where we'll onboard these kind of serious brands to the chain that we love and kind of do these um it sounds kind of like pretentious but we try and make people take solana seriously because i think that we lost a lot of big deals to um to polygon to you know disney going on wax like these crazy things that just to someone who's really passionate about solana seem kind of crazy 
Um, but I think Google can operate as getting these serious brands on chain and the people that understand that and want to be a part of that journey, that's kind of where we're positioning at the moment. But in the future, we very much see ourselves as it doesn't need to always push Web3 down people's throats. Like that was the whole thesis behind, you know, why would anyone buy a Google shirt if they don't own a Google? Because it's a nice shirt, right? Like why why do you need to overcomplicate it? Like why would you only buy merchandise if it's through this weird, obscure way on this brand that only you know of? Like you just want to buy a shirt that's a cool shirt, you know? Um, and I think that just comes down to like our core thesis has always been that NFT brands and crypto companies in general treat merchandise and events like boxes to tick and not like serious activations to enhance the brand and really kind of like really get stronger belief that the brand can be pushed further and further because a lot of the time people just go oh okay generic agency will screen print a hoodie and we'll sell it for 20 bucks to our holders and they'll get something to post for christmas likes good tick box then at oh cool you know at token 22 or or um you know east denver or whatever we'll we'll rent out a cafe co-sign something else cool box tick like google very much takes those two things as extremely serious and ways that we can enhance the brand whereas i think a lot of people really really don't place enough importance on those moments and those things yeah yeah I mean, coming from like a music and fashion background as well i think the kind of people that are into an underground music or trying to find like obscure small designers like they're the people that are very open to trying new things and i think you need that kind of personality for crypto and to bring people into this like if you can onboard people through music and fashion i think you've already kind of won a lot of the battle because they're coming to it through something they love so they'll try something that's a little bit different to get to that versus just try to expect anyone to buy a t-shirt with a, a giant pixelated cartoon on it. It's kind of not going to work in the same way you want it to. I think we have to merge with things that people are already passionate about and kind of bring them in slowly through them different routes, at least for Google anyway. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it seems like what you guys are really doing is kind of a, figured out a way to to embody like cool, which is not easy in web three. <laughs> like if you look at any of these videos or merchandise or, I mean, yeah, like pudgy penguins is going for little kids in Walmart. That's fine. That's one way to do it. I think apes has kind of done it backwards where it's like everyone had an ape and they happen to just be, you know, right time, right place, super bull market times. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well now what do we do with the ape? So let's make these crappy t-shirts and jackets. And everyone's trying to do these one-offs with their ape and I've never seen one where I've gone, oh, that's cool. I want to own that, you know, <laughs> but, but you guys, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you've, you've inverted it. It's like the, the first experience isn't going to be, oh, I know the NFT. What are they doing? What is this NFT project doing? It's no, no, no. It's, oh, I went to this conference and I noticed those three guys all had these different hats with like that label. What's that? That's pretty cool. And then later you find out about the NFT and, um, I mean, I mean, that's kind of how I'm understanding it. And I think. Yeah, I think it's a really novel approach. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. And this is my first time to learn about it. Like before today, I really knew nothing about it. So it, it's fun to kind of come in here ignorant and, and learn learn from you guys. Yeah, I think a lot of people have their first, like the first time that they get the Google merchandise, like uh, all of our holders had like a hoodie from last year and we did a, a like a holders capsule pack, which was really, really nice. Like Silan's the kind of genius behind that in, in, um, in concert with the Hans guys who are these two genius designers that You'll, know, you'll forget now and then in 10 years they'll be selling like a 
$500,000 chair to someone and you go, oh, I remember those guys. Um, <laughs> and and people really kind of like, they had all this merch, right? Like the beer goal holders, a lot of them are a big kind of participators in the ecosystem. They have everything that you can possibly imagine when it comes to like all the NFTs you can have, ETH side, soul side, wherever. And of course they pick up these merchant bits of merchandise at the conferences at different drops or whatever. But the only thing that these guys are where to work to the office to, you know, a dinner or whatever is going to be the Google merchandise because it's an objectively cool piece of merchandise. And it's not like it doesn't push NFTs down your face. If it was a jacket that just had a massive Google, like all across the chest, it demands the question like, oh, what's that? You know, like what, what the fuck is that thing on your chest? Right. And you don't want to always be having that conversation. Like I live in Portugal. Most of my friends are like Brazilian surfers who like living out of vans, paying like 200 euro a month rent, right? Like I want to wear a cool shirt. That's just a cool shirt. I don't want to, I don't want someone going like, oh, hey bro, what's that? And then I have to tell them about this other thing that like, it's just so foreign to the experience of most people. Um, that's like such a special thing. And I think for whatever reason, no one's hit that mark yet. And I think we, we have. It's also kind of confusing, like considering that NFTs are meant to be like this luxury asset because some of them cost so much money, but then some of the merch is just so horrifically loud and ostentatious. I mean, you get that in the designer clothing world anyway, but I mean, a lot of this quite subtle, elegant logos, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think there's kind of a real lack of that side of things that have come into crypto yet but i think we're slowly starting to see it and i think the same kind of applies to gaming and stuff like that when i've seen some of the attempts at games in the last like two years compared to what's currently being offered it's been refined so much more and i think it's kind of something across the board we're seeing people with like a real concept on games on music on fashion on whatever kind of industry it is um, and it's being applied now whereas it feels like there was kind of like the warm-up of 2020 to 2021, where it was all kind of a bit wild and some weird ideas were getting through and there wasn't much quality there. But over time, that's been like drilled down and people expect a different kind of level as we get deeper and deeper into this. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of free stuff over the years from, from well, not really free. Some of it was super expensive, actually, if you include the price of the NFT. But like literally every single thing I've gotten is crap. Like the, the biggest crap was probably the Moonbirds uh, banning Body that. Talk. Uh, I mean, like, what is the point of even doing that? Like, like it was such a joke. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it is funny. I mean, at the time, it was a $100,000 NFT, and I got like a $3 fanny pack that looked like it was made in China. And, and you buy stickers, it. though. You got the stickers. And stickers. Yeah, that's true. You got stickers. It's <laughs> a good point. And a hat. I got a hat. Yeah. Yeah. I remember <laughs> just thinking that's insane. Like, we, um, we had this, uh, I, I don't want to like talk bad about specific people, but we had, um, this event in NFT NYC at the start of last year, and this was like before we'd released any merchandise, even like the Bruegel Hot Hoodie, which was like, took a long time to produce because it was, I mean, to tell you the, the long, the short story, it was like Japanese cotton during COVID imported to a billion different mm. places, embroidered in different places, blah, 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 blah. Um, and before that was, that was ready, there was like a boat party that we were kind of a part of. And there was one holder that hit us up and they were like, man, you know, Google needs a presence here. Like there's no, like these guys have got beach balls. These guys have got t-shirts. Like we've got nothing. We need to get in front of them. And I just remember going like, I will murder you if you try and screen print a t-shirt with our logo on it. <laughs> I handed it out at the boat <laughs> party. Like 
that is not going to be how people consume our brand. And I think like there's just people who who get that, and there's people who don't get it. And there's times where it has to sound pretentious, but the quality assurance and like anything that Google is aligned with really has to be it has to be right. You know what I mean? Like I said this before, Ceylon's the kind of guy that if something is wrong, he will say it immediately and he's the cool kid in the room. So if like, if Tommy Hilfiger comes to us tomorrow and is like, hey, we love Google, we want to do a drop with you and Ceylon goes, mm, nah, that's it. Like it's end of conversation. There's no tweaks. Whereas a lot of pro- like a lot of projects would see like big name, big history, big win, floor price go up. Yeah, let's do it. Right. It has to be aligned with our brand. And like that's something that Sealand deserves a lot of credit for because he's the one who's just like, no, nah, that's not it, right? I mean, maximum respect to Tommy Hilfiger all day. But um, yeah, I think like the power of saying no and not doing absolutely everything that comes your way is also something that creates a huge amount of brand value and kind of picking the opportunities that you really believe in and things that feel right with your brand. Um, I remember it was very, very prominent in streetwear in the kind of early 2000s where you just get tons and tons of pointless collaborations where it's just two brands that are kind of popping at the time they both throw their logo on something and it does nothing to push whatever brand that is along it's just kind of a a money-making opportunity that everyone seems to be doing but there are a handful of people that really did like nail down into these collaborations and did some really kind of important things and change how they should be done and perceived which i i think like that's something that's always stuck quite like prominently in my mind of should you be collaborating with everyone just because they ask you to or should it just be kind of very few amount of really special things that you believe in and you think are quite important and that other people will enjoy who did the art for your nfts yeah so there's a it's a fun story actually so there's an indonesian artist called swaggy who is kind of like the first guy who made the google name and the the art and he was with us all the way to the end um, and made all the art and made most of the money <laughs> Um, but kind of just did the art like it was always really important to me and important to seal on that like the artist makes most of the money because i think before we really understood what google was that we considered it an art project and we kind of reinvested a lot of what we made into art and, and all that kind of stuff so there was there was definitely like a perhaps over importance based on that in hindsight but um to this day in a very like web3 story i've never uh, met him i've never spoke to him on the phone uh but have had thousands and thousands of discord messages um and he's always going to be a really important part of the story but apart from the art he just like wasn't uh really able to bring a lot to the table just because i think english wasn't his kind of first language and he was really like shy like he never really wanted to be part of the public scene um so for better or worse like that was kind of the story, and then and then Ceylon and I were always a part of it. And then post the art finishing up and the money coming in, um, we just kind of decided that like there wasn't. He was like, "Yeah, there's not really a place here." Um, so he's still part of the Discord. He still hangs out, like, uh, yeah. and kind of takes the, like some wireless opportunities and things like that. Have a great relationship, but I really need to meet that guy someday because I think we both changed each other's lives, you know. How did you guys settle on a hundred? Was that a discussion you guys remember having? And uh, was it pretty obvious you're going to just do a hundred or? It was meant to be 50 initially. Like when I first, so before the auctions, basically Swaggy had like a Twitter profile with like 200 followers and hadn't really done anything. He just made the PFB. 
Um, and I hit him up and like through a series of very fortunate events kind of got involved and started helping out. And it was kind of like, Swaggy was like, cool, but I'll make the art. You do kind of everything else. Like, so I was, you know, while I was still working full time and in, in the corporate stuff and I was like trying to write the law, trying to figure out what this is going to look like, trying to figure out like what traits for him to make and like what to name them. Like before Ceylon got involved, you can scroll back to the first 10 Googles being named absolutely ridiculously because it's from me <laughs> with no creativity. It's like, uh, it's, it, it's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so, so the first kind of like plan he had was to do 50 and auction 10 a week for five weeks. And then I kind of was like, whoa, whoa, let's, let's slow that down. You know, like let's fucking, let's really kind of push this to be something and, and not rush things. And then over time, like I never put in print like focuses and goals and like roadmaps and all these things that really tied a lot of projects down. Um, and then kind of decided that hundred was the right number, but slowly elongated the auctions from like, you know, five at a time to four at a time, two at a time to eventually like the last 15 or whatever went one at a time, like just kind of made a lot of right decisions, fortunately with, with the right guidance and got really lucky in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, I think a hundred just is like a nice number, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's funny how there's the ten thousand, and some people say ten thousand isn't enough. That you need fifty thousand, and then uh, on the other end is like, um, you know, your guys's collection, and then it kind of reminds me of the skulls of Lucci, which is I think a similar number. And I don't think they're doing anything with fashion, but they have like a very small kind of gated Discord, and it's like you got to pay good money to get one of those to get into the kind of the group of collectors. But um, it seems less. I, don't, I guess I don't know enough about it, but from my understanding, it just seems less um, organized. Like it's not super clear like what you get by getting a skull other than getting to tell everyone on Twitter you have a skull and go into the Discord. I'm not sure if they have more than that, if they have like investing or anything else. But Yeah, I think it's important to just like, so why this was kind of originally successful, I think, is that at the time in Solana, you had just like, the only option to participate in a group chat or a discord or something like that was just pure insanity. Like you would go into monkey DAO and there's like 4,000 people just spamming when and random crap. And then you go to like Thugbirds was the same and DJ Avis was the same. And there was no, it felt like there was no escape away from that noise to get kind of cut through quality conversation with, with kind of curated people. And the high floor and the auction format, um, fortunately, kind of does some of that curation for you. And that kind of family vibe was really what it kind of turned into. Like, I remember for the first, you know, chunk of them when there was only 30 people or whatever, like you would wake up to messages from like, it was like having little pen pals, you know, like you would have conversations while you were awake and then you would go to sleep and they've replied to you and then you wake up and you reply to them again. And, like there was nothing you would never miss a message right because like it was just a small community and and people would be really active because this felt like the place they wanted to allocate their time to and then that just became like people felt that that was special so they would share that to people and go hey you know this is this is special and like people would come in and they would get it and then you just like attention is the hardest thing in web3 to capture and for whatever reason and through a series of fortune events we kind of got the attention of some really special people and that just had these kind of network effects and i see like a hundred for a long time was too small and i and i really believed that we needed to do 
more than that. And it's really hard to kind of try and not go a generic route. Like we could sell out a 10,000 piece Google Gen 2 in a heartbeat, raise a bunch of money, and we could go that route. But we really, really wanted to push ourselves to figure out a way that we could do it whilst like doing as the brand deserves. And this fashion house kind of lets us have our cake and eat it too, because we get to expand the brand, do what we think the brand deserves, and also kind of welcome these people into the the ecosystem of Google, but without having to sell them like a generic NFT, right? And they get this tangible experience of the brand. They get to wake up, put on their Google sweater and take their dog for a walk. And like that, that's so much more special than just a generic, like whitelisted thing that doesn't need to exist, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say, please don't, please don't uh, go over hundred. I really like how you guys did a small, but at the same time, it does seem like at some point you'll need to have some other way for people to connect, you know, like, like a totally different, well, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know. Have you thought about that? Like, let's say there's, you know, 10,000 people right now that really want to be part of this community and they understand they can't be a Google holder and they can't be in that one discord, but like what other ways do they have to kind of interact with each other? Yeah. So I see it as like, maybe something like a gen two makes sense only if it makes sense, right? Like there's no need to force these things because I think a lot of people kind of hit this wall of like, all right, we're running out of money. All right, you know, people are bored. Okay, there's this chance to make more money. It's all kind of orientated around money, right? It's about like holders want free money. We want to raise some more money. Like, and it's masked in this, like, yeah, we're going to increase our community and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people do it without a purpose. And if Google was to ever do something like that, it would have to be aligned with our vision, aligned with the brand and for a purpose. So, you know, there is a future where, um, say the fashion house goes to our wildest dreams and exceeds expectation. And you have this kind of like, um, I don't know, we, we, I hate people saying like the, this of that. So like, I'm not going to say it, but like, say we have like a Supreme Dior-esque kind of model of seasonal drops and things like that, where you have, um, the akin to people trying to like line up and bought, uh, like off white Nike drops and things like that for Google products maybe there's something there where cool you know there's a lot of people who want access to um what we have and there's a lot of people talking about it and there's this whole community of people that are really passionate about fashion and products and like, these brand collaborations and you know wherever it's out there then maybe that makes sense right or maybe there's something that um at that point in time there's an ecosystem that we can fit that model to and and it makes sense to do that but you won't see Google forcing that because we just, we don't want to do that and we don't need to do that. So that's kind of how I would answer it. Like, I think that there is a time, um, if everything goes well to open the door a little bit more, but it would need to make sense. And if that never makes sense, then it, it won't happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think naturally it just kind of like becomes the public discord that you just end up with a ton of people that are super passionate about the brand and just go there because they know that there's like minds and people that enjoy the same things or have similar experiences where you don't really need to hold an NFT for it. Like you just kind of want to yeah. enjoy that kind of space for what it is. It's not like you need to tie an NFT to every single thing or every community. And there's something like quite poetic about the hundred Googles being very, very similar to Dunbar's number, like 150 meaningful connections. I think there's something in that. Like that's why there's so much strength in 
the Google community and you get a lot of people kind of, I mean, it sounds like cheesy buzzword from the outside, but like, it feels like a family because there's a lot of people in there that trust each other and that interact on a daily basis and hang out together all the time when people are visiting different countries and kind of organize dinners together. Um, any conferences, everyone's kind of hanging out and working out who's in town. I think it's something, um, something in that, that adding more and more and more people, all of a sudden you change what that feels like for the original holders. And I think that's quite special, not kind of expanding like everyone else's, just keeping it as this small, tiny thing that's attached to a really cool brand that a lot of people enjoy. Yeah. I mean, I love asking, you know, why do you need a point? And uh, Pep, uh, Pep called me a heathen for, he was shilling some shit coin and I'm like, okay, I understand the concept, but why do you need a coin? And I was going to ask you guys the same thing and, and you kind of answered it. You don't need a coin, right? Like, like, yes, this is an NFT project in a way, but in a way it, it's almost like it's not. And, um, it's definitely like a hybrid that I'm not really like, like I kind of like how you guys are sort of not leaning into the whole web three thing a hundred percent. It's not like everything has to have a token or an NFT, you know, it seems like a different way of doing it, which is almost ironic, right? Like it, you guys are so into, into web three and, and NFTs and, and crypto and Solana. And yes, this brand will help move Solana forward in a lot of ways, but at the same time, people can just buy the sweatshirt and like it and not even care at all about NFTs really. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's so many products that have been built that when you look at it, it's like, why does this need a token? Why does this need an NFT? Yeah. <laughs> it could yeah, they don't. Just, like, there's a ton that are just like actual useful services. Like um, I saw one not too long ago. It's like uh, basically doing the same kind of thing as Fiverr, connecting artists and um, people who are hiring. But why do they need a 10,000 NFT collection? It's quite simply a, a service where you're escrowing funds between a user and a, a kind of creator. But I think it's just this capital race that's so embedded into NFTs and, and crypto Twitter and with yeah. me that we just kind of normalize everything has to raise up front everything has to do xyz that we used to when in reality i think we could just do things that have previously worked and continue to work but through solana through whatever chain it might be it's heresy i can't believe you said that i know wild i've just destroyed so many <laughs> <laughs> um well, great. I think we're hitting that. Yeah, we'll, we're, we're over an hour. I, this has been a great conversation, but uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, I was just going to ask a little bit off topic, but I was going to ask like if I, because I'm new to Solana and I, I just bought some Solana as an investment, but what should I do with my Solana if it's sitting around in my wallet? What do you recommend I do with it? Do you guys stake it? Do you guys, what else is there to do? So it depends on like what you want to kind of figure out, right? Like you can jump on like Magic Eden or Tensor by like honestly the experience of jumping on like a Magic Eden or a Tensor picking some like absolute dog shit NFT for like 0.1 soul or something and just buying it that kind of I think clip makes makes people understand some value proposition or like jump on exchange art buy a piece of art or an edition for like one soul and understand that like almost all of that goes straight to the artist and you don't have to pay any gas fees and you can buy a piece of art for $10 and that goes straight to their pocket that maybe, you know, allows them to buy another set of pencils and make another piece. Um, like there's a lot of stories that I have of me buying people's work and they were able to like buy an iPad and improve their work and like take these steps forward. And that's because this kind of micro creator economy can exist. But the more boring answer would be, you know, there's a lot of DeFi options. Um, definitely don't leave it there because... You should kind of view having liquid Solana as like being exposed to inflation because the chain inflates. 
Um, that's why the validator like staking rewards are pretty good. So Marinade Native, on the topic, as I was saying earlier, they split your stake in like the most decentralized way. So you can jump on Marinade Native and um, stake that. You have to click Native, not Liquid, because it's like either li uh, Liquid staking is like, you know, Lido, um, Steeth, but they have Native staking, which is just straight through their app. Um, or you can stake it through any validator. Um, you can jump on like Camino or Drift and trade some perps. Like there's, you know, there's a massive list of things you can try, but I think the most impactful thing is jump on like Exchange Art or Mallow Art and just like buy some work that you like for cheap prices and just like make someone's day right but for the cost of an Ethereum gas fee. I love it. I love it. Uh, Cedon, I just wanted to ask about Acid House. Just, I'm just curious. Of course. Um, so Acid House is pretty much like just a way that I wanted to start having fun and doing some stuff that I used to do. Like when I came into Web3 um, and like really jumped into Solana 2021, um, before that, I was doing like a weekly radio show, putting parties on, used to make t-shirts and things like that. And I just kind of put all of that on pause for pretty much like two years. And I was just like, oh man, I'm like not having as much fun as I used to. Like, especially when we hit like bear market and things weren't as great. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just start doing some more of what I used to do, but bring it into this arena where I've made it like a ton of people. And over like a two year span of time um, in the space, interacting with these people, I learned that so many of them have like a really similar background to me and appreciate similar kind of music and do the kind of same stuff. So it is more or less just creating something that I believed in and that I thought friends would like. And the first like 50 t-shirts I made, I just gave out to friends. And that was kind of like an introduction to like, cool, this is a brand that I'm going to start just like having fun. And then from there, we took it to um, putting parties on. I went over to Istanbul a couple of times. There's a really cool crew of people over there on a boy, Django, Cardi, uh, and Barry. And me and Jaws have been out there like two times now. And we just hang out with them guys the whole time. We put a couple of parties on in uh, in a, a few clubs that they've got over there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more or less it. It's just a, a way for me to do the, the shit I love in music and fashion um on the side and then kind of do the same kind of stuff for Google as well just create things that i enjoy seeing in the space i think there's like a real lack of that and especially at the time when everything was nft focused and token focused it was like cool i'm just gonna make merch and uh, and do some parties seems fun and it's really good shit well thanks you guys i appreciate you, you hopping on and um it's really fun to talk about solana and i mean i've i've been kind of bullish on it recently because everyone who i respect as investors is telling me <laughs> buy Solana, buy Solana. So I think there's a reason for that. Not financial advice, of course, but, uh, you know, seems like there's a lot of the future's bright. So absolutely appreciate you having us on. Yeah, man, that was really good. I haven't done one of these for a while, but uh, that was a great one. Yeah. Cheers. Everyone talks a good game. Like every, I'm sure every NFT founder that you had on here would talk about the way they perceive their brand and the way they want their brand to be perceived and all of that stuff. But like I kind of in Amsterdam had that introductory experience to, to Google mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. They're not talking shit. That is that is kind of how you how you end up discovering it because yeah, okay, people I was hanging out with said, Oh, you should check this stuff out and then you go to the pop up. It really is good quality stuff. Like they've they've put the effort in where they're saying they are and um it kind of reflects in what they're hoping to achieve. They kind of seem to be hitting the mark on. So do you think that's how how it works for most people is they go to like a convention, a Solana conference or something and they see the they have a pop up store there? Is that what happened with you? Um so I was at 
the magic leader part that's kind of where i put the hat on just a proof of a uh, proof of breakpoint or whatever but um other people i was with that know boogles they kind of int- introed me to um one or two people and yeah some, it, it turned out that someone I'm, i'd already met at a couple of other conferences who i really respect and he's active in solana um he's also a boogle so it's kind of like you get this uh, yeah, it's hard to describe but like um one of the, one, while they were talking about the, the the gated nature of the the discord and the the the, the committee like there's a lot of talk for, at the moment about proof of personhood right like vitalik's got this long post that i keep referencing every so often um and world coin is one approach of trying to establish that oh yeah someone is a person that you can interact with and demands like is able to receive airdrops or value in the future whatever. and one approach to proof of her personhood is like the social graph approach and they've got like a a hundred person deep proof of personhood thing like if you met a boogle now if, like if, if i met a person at a party and they were a boogle or if i interact with one online i've kind of got this they've been vouched for now like i know enough of the boogle community mm-hmm. now and i've, I've had enough interaction yeah. with it to perceive it as high quality that now if i was in a deal with another boogle i'd kind of be reassured by the fact they're a boogle so they've kind of achieved this proof of personhood thing on a very small scale it's kind of interesting yeah i mean i i do think there's some similarity to crypto punks there's some differences but it's sort of like um you know like if it's a if, if you know someone actually owns a crypto punk and you're talking to them in a meeting or messaging with them online you're going to take that person you're going to have some assumptions about that person that's probably true that they're you know they know what they're doing they're not going to try to you know screw you over that that they are who they say they are you know that kind of thing and it sounds like this is even more more like that um but uh yeah i mean it's um it's a it's a really interesting concept how they've sort of flipped it around it's like um i i, I keep thinking of moonberg it's not not to pick on them although i guess i can't pick on them but like you know they just tried to do everything as like they were the most quintessential like web3 project that you know it's not done they're not they haven't totally failed but they've made a lot of mistakes and you know i, I feel like this these guys have kind of flipped it on flipped it around and um, are kind of doing everything opposite <laughs> you know yeah, and it uh, it seems to be working you know and it seems you know back then it was like oh that's what you do you have ten thousand, and then you have another ten thousand collection and then you release merch and then you do this you do that and everyone's doing the same thing and for some reason it still seemed like it was cool and different for a brief moment um but these guys actually are doing something different so yeah it's, it's really interesting and i think also as it doesn't hurt that solana is gaining so much steam right like it's been the best performing crypto app major crypto app set in the last what three months and so therefore it's getting a lot of attention it sort of brushed off the sbf thing and it's moving forward and again not financial advice but it just seems like of all the coins that are primed to do well this next bull run it's definitely you know of the, of the major ones i think it's like number one on my list yeah, yeah i think a lot of people probably like externally probably including me and and there, there might have been this perception that Solana was only big because SBF was interested in it. When it yeah, really, it's probably, I the, op- that. It's probably yeah. the opposite that SBF was yeah. interested in it because it had the potential. Um, well, that's and- exactly right. That's what uh, Anatoly said on the interview yesterday. He said, um, you know, SBF owned, well, their company, I guess it's him and, and FTX owned, and Alameda owned 10% of Solana, which is nuts. But he's like, the reason they own so much is because they they had all these visions of doing things on everything they were going to develop was going to be on Solana. This whole like decentralized marketplace, all this other stuff. And they knew they needed Solana to do that. So they just bought it early when it was cheap. I mean, that was why they did it. It, it wasn't the other way around, which is as an outsider, like I, I perceived it as, oh, this is all just a scam coin pumped by SBS. 
And, and I think a lot of people probably had that impression and that's why it almost went to zero when, when he got arrested or whatever. But, um, you know, that's all in the rearview mirror now. And, um, you're kind of seeing like what it has to, to offer, which is, you know, it's, it's, it seems like right now it has advantages over any layer two and any other alternative blockchain. I mean, there's BNB, which I guess price wise, maybe still higher, but, um, and maybe that's mostly Asia, but that just doesn't seem to have the traction that Solana's going to have as far as being like a high throughput, low cost blockchain alternative to, to Ethereum. The other thing I was going to say about CryptoPunks is, you know, par- partially betting on CryptoPunks back like when I was starting to collect them when they were like 100 bucks, 200 bucks was, was you're, you were betting on ETH, like maybe inadvertently, but you were like the main reason obviously they did so well is because ETH did so well. And so again, I have that kind of feeling with Solana, not that Google is necessarily the one product. I mean, they're so expensive, you know, not many people can buy them. And, and interestingly, there's nothing else that you can buy right now other than physical merchandise, which is also hard to get. So it's kind of funny how they're like, they're so exclusive, almost to a detriment. But I think looking around, sniffing around in Solana right now and trying to find something that's going to do well long-term will then just go up, you know, way more just because Solana is going to do well itself. It's hard to pick the winner. I think at the moment there's, there's oh yeah, I have no mad lads yeah. and there's all sorts of other. But it's it's very difficult to say. Okay, these are going to be the the quote unquote punks of Solana right now. Um, but going back to the other point on SBF and the the realization that maybe he he wasn't the driving factor behind the success of Solana. Um, I think crypto natives are coming around to that idea slowly. But I think on a broader like the the ball case for Solana still from here is that most average people that know a bit about crypto still probably believe that anything tied to SBF was a scam and I think it's, it's still over over the coming year or two that that's gonna that realization that we've had more recently is gonna hit hit the broader public for the yeah people forget stuff I mean remember when Volkswagen like got caught red-handed like lying about emissions and and then that was like well a few years ago and now no one cares like everyone's yeah. buying Volkswagens again it's like you know no one's gonna care in the future it's all gonna be you know in, in the rearview mirror but uh as much as I love Ethereum, like I was almost thinking like it's sort of a proof of concept in a way. Like it doesn't work very well. And like yesterday I had all these freaking headache nightmares, like trying to get an NFT off my coal storage onto my other wallet so I could list it for sale and then dealing with this bridging bullshit and paying all these gas fees. And it's just not like who is going to do this other than nerds like us? Like no one else is going to do this ever. It's never. And it's like, there has to be a better way. And, um, you know, it has to be something where you don't know it's an NFT. You don't know there's crypto involved and you don't want to pay more than you're paying on your credit card transactions to do something that's harder to do. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Ethereum's here to stay for, for, for real. I mean, but, but I mean, I don't know. I'm sort of like, like I've been so bullish on Ethereum for so long, but it's kind of like, what's so great about it? <laughs> like, yeah. It kind of sucks. And a lot, a lot of things about it really suck. And it was first the first of its kind and of course it's it's not going to be perfect for that reason but you know and you know they upgraded to proof of stake and they're upgrading to make eventually make it faster and cheaper maybe it's l2s but even those are super cumbersome to use right now no no you're right and i don't know yeah i see certain people like there are certain solana evangelists that are trying to make that point at the moment they're like like the, 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 there are, I never thought there'd be ETH maxis like in the same way that there are BTC maxis. Oh, there are. There, there are yeah, definitely yeah. Lo- lots of them now. But then there are dissenters um, who have kind of come to the like have noticed what you're noticing that Ethereum is pretty flawed at the moment still, and 
like if we're going to hit all of the use cases that people hope crypto would eventually hit like this deep in stuff that we didn't really talk about today and the question comes up like well, if decentralized infrastructure exists why can't you just get paid in Solana in, in ethereum well at the moment that'd be way too expensive and way too cumbersome and maybe it hasn't got the the speed or the throughput or whatever and i guess that's where the ball case for solana is on in on technical terms is that it can facilitate those micro transactions for letting someone use your wi-fi router or letting someone use your solar panels to power their electric car while they're charging it and things yeah east is no good in that context at the moment it's too expensive right. it's too slow it can't handle the transactions that hopefully will it the, the volume of transactions that will hopefully exist one day maybe something like solana can or maybe it's something else like it's it's a long road ahead yeah and eth has other i mean eth is also sort of a store of value it's, it's almost deflationary now and it has um you know other purposes but i mean the main reason i bought eth was to use it um you know and then as the price went up and as the nft prices went up you got more ETH and you were happy and you, and you stored it as a store of value but I mean, Bitcoin is always going to be a store of value. So I don't really think it matters so much like the Bitcoin's like the boomer coin. But um, but then like it's like, what else is there? There's got to be something else. And so I think, yes, yeah, Solana right now is, is filling that niche pretty good. And we'll see. I mean, there could be... The thing is, next year, there could be some other one that's even better. I mean, who knows, right? Yeah, there's some... A lot of Solana people have seen some... Like, they mentioned Veeps, um, who's handing the the Boogle... I can't think what they called it. The Syndicate. Yeah, the Google Syndicate. So Vince, yeah. who, who sort of helps on that side and puts together the investments and stuff, is also active on Say, I think, S-E-I. So it seems like if there's going to be another contender for for a, a threat to Solana's sort of potential, it might be that because some of the, a lot of the people that were bullish on Solana hmm. and have been for a long time are now active in that community, investing there. So oh, funny. Not even, I've never even heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. No, it's good to speak. I'll see you soon. See you, bet. Later.